Uh, hey, as the kids kind of find their way to their parents and take a seat, uh, we are going to look at God's word briefly. Some of what they read, that uh, Jesus is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So we're going to look at God's word uh, together, uh, and we're going to look at that sign of Emmanuel. And uh, listen, there's lots of signs of Christmas, isn't there? Like for some of you, it's, it's traveling. Some of you traveled here. For some of you, it's, it's rapping and, and packing and, and singing. There's lots of signs that Christmas is here. But uh, as we look at that, I think one of the signs for my family is that there's presents around a Christmas tree. And I saw that vividly this week as my wife was with my four-year-old daughter, who is one of the sweet little cute angels up here, um, uh, my favorite. Uh, but uh, this week, my wife was at my four-year-old daughter's uh, Christmas program uh, and Christmas party at our preschool, and they were drawing together a picture of Christmas. And so they were drawing different things and wreaths and, and Christmas tree, and they start to draw presents. And my wife is, is drawing all the Christmas tree and she's drawing the presents, and my, my little four-year-old daughter tells my wife, she says, Mom, don't forget to draw the Amazon boxes around the tree. <laughs> now, now, my daughter's four. She's experienced Christmas before, but she doesn't remember, right? What she remembers is right now, 2019, there's a lot of Amazon boxes around our tree. Now, before you judge me, I know some of you are. I'm a pastor. Christmas season is busy. We are going to wrap the gifts, Right? <laughs> But right now, there's, there's Amazon boxes. And so in her mind, she's like, that's a sign of Christmas. Amazon boxes. That's all she knows, right? But there's lots of signs of Christmas. For you, you have different traditions, different sights, sounds, and smells. Here's the sign of Christmas according to the Bible. It's this word. It's this name, Emmanuel, God with us. That's the sign of Christmas according to Scripture. See, if you're new to Christianity, new to the church, maybe you just came here to support uh, your, your niece or nephew or a kid you knew in the program, and you're like, what is Christmas all about? Like, I know we make a big deal about it. I know it dips into my pocketbook. I know it makes the, the mall crazy and shopping crazy and people crazy. I know there's a lot of family drama at Christmas time. Like, what's the big deal about Christmas? And I would tell you it can be summarized just simply as God with us. That's the meaning of Christmas. That's the sign of Christmas, and we're going to look at that just briefly this morning. We're going to start in our Old Testament. You can just look on the screen with me. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah 7, 14. Listen to what it says. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, even if you didn't grow up in the church, I imagine you've heard this verse before. Right? You've seen it on an ornament and a Christmas card, maybe, and you're kind of familiar with this verse. But, but what I would tell you is before the manger scene, 600 to 700 years before the manger scene, we get this verse. Through the prophet Isaiah, and he's proclaiming, he's foretelling this sign that would come, that would be fulfilled in Jesus. But Jesus isn't here yet. In fact, uh, 600 to 700 years before Jesus shows up, things aren't growing, going great for the Jewish people or for the world. There's a king in this particular situation in chapter 7 of Isaiah named Ahaz. And he's not a great king. He's not one of the good kings of the Old Testament. He's not leading uh, under the, the guidance of God. And what happens with Isaiah and King Ahaz is Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and says, hey, king, I'm going to give you a sign. God wants to give you a sign. And King Ahaz says, no, that's okay. I don't need a sign. 
And as you read it in chapter 7, you can read it on your own, you kind of think, well, maybe that's kind of spiritual of Ahaz. Like, he doesn't need a sign to believe in God. He's just going to believe in him. But if you know Ahaz's story, he doesn't want a sign because he knows if he gets a sign, then he will have to believe in God. Then he will have to change the way he runs his kingdom. And so he doesn't want that sign. So I, what I love about this, this verse, Isaiah 7:14, that you probably have seen on an ornament or a Christmas card, is this is God saying, hey, I, I don't care if you want a sign. I'm going to give you one anyway. And it's not just for you, King Ahaz. It's for all people. And it is this amazing truth. The sign is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. That at this time, 600 to 700 years before Jesus, God's working through prophets like Isaiah. God is working through kings, even corrupt ones like King Ahaz. But at some point, one day, he's going to send the king, and his name is Jesus, and he's going to be with the people. So that's the context. That's Isaiah. Then we fast forward to the fulfillment of this sign, Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Again, you can look on the screen with me. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, uh, again, familiar verses, you've probably heard in a Christmas service before, but betrothed just means she was engaged to Joseph. And you got to picture this time period. We're not in 2019. This is in the Middle East over 2,000 years ago. This engagement was probably arranged. And so Mary and Joseph probably didn't know each other too well. Have you thought about that? They probably didn't have a lot of trust built up. That's going to be important as we keep reading. Keep reading with me. It says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, again, just we're in 2019. This is 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. You have a couple who's engaged to be married that was probably arranged, not a lot of trust built up, didn't know each other super well, Joseph and Mary. Imagine how this conversation went with Joseph's family and friends. Joseph, Mary's pregnant? What did you do? You're not married yet. What is everybody going to think? And Joseph's like, I pro it's the Holy Spirit's baby, Mom. I didn't do that. Like, it's the Holy Spirit. Like, his friends would be like, bro, she, that's what she told you? <laughs> that's what she's got? Like, you're so naive, Joseph. And just try to picture Joseph's headspace in this moment. This did not make sense. So God, in his grace, knows that, sends an angel of the Lord and says, Joseph, do not fear. Don't, don't just trust Mary you trust me, that I'm going to do something with this. Take her as your wife. Don't divorce her. Listen, as we look at that, I have to imagine some of you here today, you need to hear that and be reminded that God works through even things that don't make sense. Because the reality is all of us walk in here, we all look a little bit more spiritual than we are today, especially we got the sweaters on, right? And all of us walk in here, and there's some things in our life that don't make sense if we were just to be honest for a moment. Like there's some sickness in your life probably that doesn't make sense. Our worship leader got the flu yesterday. That doesn't make sense, right? 
And your life, you're probably thinking like, hey, Christmas, lights, you got all the families in town, you got the meals prepared, you have the gifts around the tree, and they're not all Amazon boxes. You have the sights you want to see, and then, but all your family has the flu. And you just spend Christmas in bed, and you're like, hey, this doesn't make sense. For some of you, like right now, family, it doesn't make sense. Like Christmas is supposed to be family time, and it's supposed to be a beautiful time. And you're, again, you're looking around. Everybody looks more spiritual than they actually are. And you're like, man, everybody else's family, they're probably great. I mean, they are dressed nice. I mean, they probably are. They got the ham in the oven. They're going to eat after this, and, and everything's great. But my family is jacked up. I mean, we got drama. And if I'm honest, and listen, don't look around. If, I, if I'm honest, like, I don't even like my family. And I'm ready for them to go. And if you're honest, you would just say, hey, this doesn't make sense. Again, don't look around. And some of you look at your finances and you're like, Christmas, we buy all the gifts and my kids are getting older and uh, this is a true story in my life. They want the iPhone 11 or, or the iPhone 10 or, or an iPad with the pen or all the above and they, they sent me the links for it, right? <laughs> and you're thinking like, but this doesn't make sense because the end of the year like is tight financially and how do we do all this? And you're like, my finances just don't make sense and my family, it just doesn't make sense and the sickness, it just doesn't make sense. And let me just tell you, God has you here this morning. You didn't just come to support the cute little kids on stage in their Christmas program. God has you here this morning to remind you of Joseph's story who had a, a wife who wasn't his wife yet, who he hadn't had sex with yet, who's gonna have a child because of the Holy Spirit of God. And it didn't make sense, but God says, hey, trust, don't trust Mary, trust me anyway, I have a greater purpose through things that don't make sense, amen? God has you here to see Joseph's story, to be reminded of your story, that you can trust God even when things don't make sense because he has a greater purpose in mind. Let's keep going, look back at verse 21. Verse 21, it says, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, here's Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, what does it mean? God with us. That's what Christmas is about. That's the sign that's fulfilled in Jesus, God with us. Two parts to that. Jesus is God. Now, there's not too much controversy to Christmas until you mention that, amen? Everybody, maybe you're here in this room, you say, well, I'm not a Christian. I did just kind of show up to support somebody or I came with a friend or family member. There's not too much controversy about Christmas when you just think about Jesus as the baby, like, everybody loves a good nativity scene. Everybody puts one up on their mantle, or they go big and put one in their yard, right? Everybody loves, like, the Charlie Brown Christmas. Like, we all watch that on NBC. Everybody loves Talladega Nights. Eight pounds, six ounces, newborn, infant, little cuddly Jesus, right? Everybody, lo everybody loves Christmas until you talk about the king of Christmas, and so you talk about, hey, Jesus wasn't just a baby. He's the sovereign king of the universe. He's, he's God. And that's where you start to get some controversy. But if you actually read scripture and move beyond just a nativity scene, you see that Jesus is God. I'll just give you a few places. Colossians 1 is one of them. 
It says this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Hebrews 1. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his very being. And then you have all these other places in the New Testament letters that that even just in the greetings, they say things like Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our God and Savior, that acknowledge Jesus is God. And that's where the controversy starts to set in. But but if you look at Jesus' life, he actually himself claimed to be God. John 10 is one of those cases. It says, uh, Jesus said himself, I and the Father are one. Now, right after that, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I am God. Right after that, it says the Jewish people picked up stones to kill him. Now, some of us, again, we see Jesus as the baby, and we're like, oh, cute baby Jesus, uh, golden fleece, diapers, Talladega Nights. I like that Jesus, right? We, we think Jesus, oh, he, he, he did grow up. He wasn't always a baby. Like, I know that. He grew up. He did a bunch of miracles, and that was, that was amazing. And, uh, oh, and he, he taught people, and I'm really intrigued with Jesus kind of as a philosopher, and, and he, he taught people really through cool stories and parables, and I'm really intrigued by Jesus that way. But when we get to Jesus saying himself he was God and people wanted to stone him for it, what do we do with that? You see, they didn't want to stone Jesus. They didn't want to kill Jesus because he pulled all the little children around him and told them stories. They didn't want to stone Jesus even because he did miracles. They loved him for that, right? Uh, You don't stone somebody who turns water into wine. You pick that person up on your shoulders and carry him around the party, right? It says it in John 10. Why did they stone Jesus? Why did they want to stone Jesus? Why did they eventually kill Jesus? Because he said, hey... I and the Father, we're one. I am God. And that's why they killed Jesus on a bloody cross. It wasn't because of the stories. It wasn't because of the manger. It wasn't because of the miracles. It was because he claimed to be God. And so Jesus is God with us. And we first have to realize he is God. John Stott, a theologian, said this. There's only three rational responses to Jesus seeing that he claimed to be God There's only three rational responses to that, and we see them all in the Gospels. The first one is to be terrified and to run away. If Jesus is God, and we don't like that, or we're not living right, we we, we get terrified and we run away. We see that with the demons, don't we? Jesus often shows up. He tells the demons to shut up. They they run away through a pig and run into a, a lake at one point in the Gospels. The only rational response, if Jesus is God, is to be terrified and run away. Uh, The second rational response is to want to kill him. Like the Pharisees and the Jewish people and the Roman officials did. Hey, you're claiming to be God. You are threatening our power at this point. That is blasphemy. We have to kill you. That's the second rational response. The third rational response, which we also see in the Gospels and which we're doing today, Jesus is God, so we worship him as God. We acknowledge that. We sing songs. Some of you, you saw people raising your hands in church singing songs about God, and you just thought, do they have a question? <laughs> why, why is everybody raising their hands? And it's because we're, we're worshiping God be, because Jesus is God, not just a baby, not just a good storyteller, not just a miracle worker. He's, he's God. Only three rational responses. Be terrified and run away. Try to kill Jesus. Or worship him, not just with song, but with your life. 
few implications to that. Jesus is God with us. He's God. You can't be, and there's no such thing as a casual, lukewarm Christian. There's no such thing as somebody who says, well, no, I believe, Tim, I believe Jesus died on the cross, rose again for my sin, and I come to church Christmas, Easter, a few Sundays of the year, like, sure, read the Christmas story, like, I'm fine with Jesus. There's no such thing. If Jesus is really God, he's worthy of our worship. There's no casual, lukewarm Christianity. It doesn't even make sense. Also, it doesn't make sense just to be intrigued with Jesus. Like, oh, I just want to read some stories about it. I want to watch some Nat Geo specials about Jesus. I mean, he's just kind of an intriguing, interesting teacher. Listen, Jesus claimed to be God, okay? If a good teacher at your kid's school claimed to be God, he would be fired on the spot. He wouldn't be called a good teacher, so it just takes away some of these options. We, we either are terrified of Jesus as God, we try to kill him, or we worship him with everything we have. How do you respond to Jesus? Are you worshiping him? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's first God. Second, he is with us. Philippians 2 says this. Jesus, though he was God, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, to be with us he became like us. We see that again throughout the Gospels. We see it in his birth. We talked about this last week, that Jesus was a real baby. He smiled and he cried. Now, now parents, just imagine, uh, Jesus wasn't born and then uh, sleeping in a docketot or a fancy bassinet or next to you in your bed. Jesus was born, and we think probably sleeping in a wooden box with hay needles poking him. Now, your baby cries, in the docketot, in the bassinet, in the bed next to you. Imagine how much baby Jesus, hay needles poking him in a wooden box in a cave or a barn. How much did Jesus cry, right? Away in a major, like no crying he makes, that's just in there because it sounds sweet. <laughs> Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. He was a baby, he, he cried. He became born in the likeness of man to be with us. Jesus learned, Jesus worked, Jesus slept, he ate, he prayed, he sang songs, he went to parties, he was tired, he was tempted, and he did all that to be with us. So Jesus is God, all-powerful, all-knowing, but he also came near. He, he was born in the likeness of man. He experienced everything you and I experienced, tempted in every way, Hebrews 4 says, so that he could empathize with you. Jesus is God with us. This is the sign of Christmas. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is why we celebrate at Christmas. This is why we worship not just baby Jesus, but King Jesus, who condescended to earth, who stepped out of heaven, put on flesh, entered into human history, became like us to be with us. And listen, there is power in that. There's power in with that when you see God, yeah, he's God, he's all-powerful, but he's with us, there's power in that for your life. I know as a dad of three kids, uh, when I tell my kids I'm with them, that means a few things. It means I'm for them. It means I love them. It means they are not alone. And I usually, as a parent, when I tell my kids, hey, I'm with you, it's usually when they're scared. Like just something simple, like going to the dentist, right? And my kids are like, I gotta go to the dentist? And they're going to get that, that loud like, mecha, like instrument and like put it in my mouth. 
and they're gonna numb me and I gotta lay back and look at bright lights like this and I gotta go to the dentist. Like, I don't wanna go to the dentist and I tell my kids, you know what? I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna hold your hand during that process and you're gonna get some cool toothpaste and we'll go get a smoothie afterwards, right? But I'm gonna be with you. What does that mean? I'm for you. I love you. You're not alone in this. There's power in God with us. He became like us to be with us. Now, as you hear that, if you thought about it, you might ask, well, who's the us? Who's the us? Like, the, again, the, the people who look more spiritual than I do, the people who are dressed nice. Who, who's the us? Like the moral elite Who's the us, like the prophets that were foretelling Jesus to come? Who, who's the us, like the writers of the New Testament of Scripture? Like, who is the us, like pastors? Who's the us? Well, just look at who Jesus came to. The us is the young. Jesus came to, he was conceived in a young girl named Mary, a teenage girl. Most scholars agree probably more like middle school age. Mary was the us, the young. Jesus came to the old, the old man Simon, who got to hear about the birth of Jesus, the the promised Savior right before he died. Jesus came to the young, but he also came to the old. He came to the lowly. Stinky shepherds were the first people to get the announcement, hey, unto you this day, Christ the Savior has been born. Who'd that come to? The Pharisees, the moral elite, they came to stinky shepherds who were often considered thieves. He came to the lowly. He came to the ordinary. He picks fishermen to be on the team that would change the world. He came to the outcast. He came to lepers. There's one point in the Gospels where Jesus comes to a leper and he heals them, but he does something really interesting. He touches the leper to heal him. Now, Jesus calm storms by the power of his word. He didn't need to touch the leper, but he does because he's changing everything. He's changing who he, God comes to and, and who's accepted by God. It's even the, the outcast. It's even the, the lepers. He's coming to sinners. He often had, had dinner with tax collectors, reclined at table with them in their home. He came to the scandalous as he engages even the prostitute. Even as other people would say, hey, Jesus, no, you don't want to go there. You don't want to talk to her. You don't need to be seen engaging with her. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's exactly who I've came for. It's the scandalous. Jesus came to the self-righteous, to the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, you know, there's a reason why we know a lot about the Pharisees and the scribes. It's because Jesus was often engaging them. Jesus was God, like omniscient, like omnipresent. Like he knew where they were at all times. If he wanted to, he could have avoided the Pharisees and the scribes. But what does he do? He comes to them. Because Jesus even comes to the self-righteous. He comes to the unlikely. Jesus rises from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, and the grave. And the first people to show up at the empty tomb are who? Women. Women who in that culture were often considered less than slaves. Their testimony in court wasn't even considered legitimate. And Jesus says, I'm going to rise. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to change history. Who am I coming to? The first people, women. So who's the us? It's all of us. The reason God with us, Christmas, is the most wonderful 
time of the year is because you do have God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who came to be with. I'm for you. I love you. You're not alone. Who came to be with us. Everybody in this room. You see what I love about God with us, Emmanuel, what I love about that so much, it isn't just a theology about Jesus. It's his very name. You shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just a theology. It's Jesus' very name. It's who he is and his character and his nature and his person and his work. Jesus is God with us. Here's what that means. Here's why the gospel is good news. Here's why Christmas is a joyous time of the year. is because God loves you. God comes to you. He comes to be with you, not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. His name is Emmanuel, God with us, and it's all of us. That's good news. There's a song, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We're about to sing it. And, and every chorus of that song says the same thing. It says, rejoice, repeats it, rejoice, Emmanuel. Rejoice, repeat it, rejoice, God is with us. Why does the song go like that? Because that's the only appropriate response to understanding this truth. To understanding the sign of Christmas is Emmanuel. What does that do to us? God came to be with you. All that you've done, all that you haven't done, all the places you've been, all the hidden things you think nobody knows, God came to be with you. Rejoice, rejoice. Be overcome with joy this Christmas season because of that truth. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for that truth. I pray that it would be real today, even if we've heard it multiple times, even if we have seen it in a Christmas card or an ornament, that it would become alive to us today, this truth for each person in this room, if they've trusted in Jesus, that you are God with us. God, I thank you that you don't run away from our sin and brokenness, but you run to us to rescue us from it. And this morning, I imagine there are a lot of things in this room that just don't make sense in people's lives. Sins they're still struggling with that they've been struggling with for 15 years. And another Christmas, same sin, and they feel defeated. I pray that you would help them to know you are God, you're all-powerful, but you're also with them. You can heal them. You have come to them in Jesus, who lived the life that they couldn't live, who died the death they deserved, who rose again to conquer that sin, to overcome the grave. And God, I pray that that would invade the, the parts of our lives that don't make sense, and that we would worship you, we would rejoice, rejoice, because God is with us. God, we need your help to do that. And so I pray for it now in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen.